0: Good morning, it's good to be with you. Hope you're enjoying your morning at home. Glad that you decided to tune in and join us. Uh, Today we get to continue with our sermon series, Going Public. I hope this series has been helpful to you. I hope it's given you some things to think about and hopefully I can give you some more things to think about that will hopefully impact the way you live. So that's always the hope, right? Um, so far in our Going Public sermon series, we've been taking a look at how do we go public with our faith? How do we become a witness for Jesus, especially during these crazy times that we live in, times in which people are more receptive to talking about the big questions of life? And so how, how do we equip ourselves to be in a position to share our Christian hope with the people that we come in contact with. Um, So that's what this series is all about. Last week, we focused on gospel demonstration and the role of that in going public with our faith. If you missed that message, I encourage you to check that out. Today, we're going to talk about gospel proclamation. And in order to talk about that, we're going to be in Romans 10, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 15. So pray with me and we'll talk about the role of gospel proclamation in going public. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that as we listen and as we engage your word, you are with us. You love us. You're always seeking to transform us more fully into the into your image and we know that you're going to use this time for that purpose. Lord, you have given us a tremendous privilege and yet uh, quite a responsibility to be a witness for you, to bring hope uh, to dark places. And there's plenty of darkness in our world right now and our world definitely needs the one true hope, the Christian hope that's found in you, Jesus. And so equip us. Give us opportunities to talk about the hope that we have in you this week. And teach us this morning so that we can be better equipped to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, let me read to you Romans 10, 9-15. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He writes this, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And and how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things so that's our passage and what i want to talk to you about this morning is why we need gospel proclamation so we're going to talk about that first Um, we are going to get to uh why we need we're going to talk about how we can do it we're going to talk about some dangers in regards to gospel proclamation as well that we got to avoid so let me just start why do we need gospel proclamation last week as i mentioned our focus was on gospel demonstration and we established that unless people are impressed with our christian lifestyle Um, unless they're impressed with it, they're not probably going to be willing to listen to the Christian message that we proclaim. And that's why gospel demonstration is so critical. And we demonstrate the gospel through our transformed character and also by our loving, sacrificial, Service to those inside the family of God and to those outside the family of God. It, it, our transformed character and our loving service really demonstrate the nature of the gospel, and also provides living proof that what we are proclaiming is true. And I mentioned last week that in our nation's current, uh, in our nation's current cultural climate gospel demonstration is huge because the Christian worldview really has fallen on hard times amongst the general public. It's not uh, viewed as credible as it once was in our nation's history by many. And Christians are often viewed as hypocritical or narrow-minded. And so the demonstration piece cannot be overemphasized. However, As important as gospel demonstration is, it is not enough if people are going to be led to Jesus. It's not enough because gospel proclamation is always necessary in leading a person to Christ. Leslie Newbegin, an author I quoted last week, he says this in one of his books after emphasizing the importance of gospel demonstration. He goes to to goes on to note the importance of gospel proclamation, and what he says is he states that Jesus and the disciples you know they they were the the, the miracles that they performed were unable to explain uh, the gospel and the rea- reality behind their healings. And it was easy for people to misinterpret what their miracles and their uh, acts meant. You know, this even happened with Jesus. They, You know, some people accused Jesus of, of healing by Satan's power. And so the works need to be explained. The works in and of themselves do not explain themselves. Um In Jesus' day and, and, and with the disciples, people needed to know that the reason why Jesus was able to do what he did and the disciples were able to do what they were doing is because the kingdom of God had come in Jesus and God's kingdom power His rule and reign was pulsating in and through Jesus, in and through the disciples to perform the works that they did. And the only way that people in Jesus's day would have known that is if it was explained, if it was proclaimed. You see, It is possible for us to sacrificially love people in the best ways possible, with the best heart possible, without them ever knowing that we are being compelled by Christ to do it. And they can, we can do, we can love them through our actions and still not yet know and discover that this love that compels us from Christ, they can experience Christ for themselves. They can experience that love that we are experiencing. And this is precisely the point that Paul is making in our passage, that Uh, Just notice the links in the chain here of a person eventually coming to put their trust in Jesus, calling on Jesus. Verse 14 tells us that in order for a person to call on Jesus, they have to, you know, in order for them to ask Jesus for salvation, they must believe in Jesus. But if they are going to believe in Jesus, they must hear about Jesus. And if they're going to hear about Jesus, it's going to be because it won't, it'll be because a person preaches to them. And then Paul goes on to say, but how are you going to have someone preaching unless they have been sent? Look, um, preaching, proclaiming the word is so critical. And, And I really think That word has fallen on hard times. I think when we think of the word preaching, we think of like, you know, somebody being really forceful with the truth in like a sermon type form. But that's not what Paul is talking about in this passage. If you would actually look at the Greek word that is translated preaching or preach in this passage, you would find that it's simply a person that is being a herald or making announcement. That's what it means to preach. And in this context, it is simply announcing what God has accomplished through Jesus and then a per- giving a person the opportunity to respond to what God has done through Jesus. That's what it means to preach in this passage so let's look at this chain once again this is the chain it goes like this if you're gonna start from the beginning God sends his people to preach to non-christians so that non-christians will hear about Jesus believe in Jesus and call upon Jesus without gospel proclamation there is no salvation You may have uh, heard the saying, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Now, whenever I've heard that saying uh, spoken, I think the person that's speaking it, it, from what I can tell, their motivations are pure. And what what I think they're desiring to do is really emphasize the, the critical component of gospel demonstration, right? They really want to encourage Christians to not just be all talk. They really want them to walk the walk. And although the motivation, I think, is is good, uh, I think this saying can be misleading. uh, Because as we've learned from Paul in this passage, if people are going to come to faith in Jesus, words are always necessary. Romans 10, 17, if I were to keep reading the, you know, beyond the passage I read to you, Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, that's how faith comes. Now, I want to tell you, so that's why gospel proclamation is necessary. Let me tell you, uh, let me just mention two traps that we can fall in when it comes to gospel proclamation one trap that we can fall in is we can ignore we can annoyingly and obnoxiously bring jesus into every sentence we speak right maybe you've been that christian maybe you've come in contact with that christian uh just this past week i spoke to a lady who was in her 50s and um her dad was one of these obnoxious christians that even though she was not open to talking to, about Jesus at the time, he kept forcing the issue. And it instead of drawing her closer to Christ, it actually repelled her from Christ, right? So that's one trap when it comes to gospel proclamation, is that we, it's just we are nonstop talking about Jesus, even to people who have made it clear that they don't want to hear it, right? The second trap we can fall in is we can never mention Jesus in our conversations, never bring him up, Uh, never talk about him, even in subtle ways. We just we just avoid it altogether. And so I'm curious, as you're hearing me share this, I wonder which trap uh, perhaps you've fallen in or which one you're most likely to fall in. Think about that. So, let's now move to how do we actually engage in gospel proclamation we've exta- We've established it's it's absolutely necessary uh, we've looked at <laughs> two traps. How do we actually do it? Well, um, to proclaim the gospel message, we have to and I, this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways, is we have to know the message, right now. Although the gospel message can be stated in a, in a simple fashion, it is irreducibly complex, the gospel message is. It really is like that diamond that has all these different facets, and depending on the angle you're looking at it, you're going to see the brilliance of, of the diamond differently. But all angles give you just this brilliant picture. That's, that is how the gospel is. And since it is this complex thing, there is no, even though it can be stated simply, there's no one-size-fits-all way to share the gospel message. Uh, take, for example, the first four books of the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they really emphasize uh, the concept, to, to, to share the gospel message, they really emphasize the concept of the kingdom of God. And then when you go to John, when you see John emphasizing the concept of eternal life. And then if you're going to go to the rest of the New Testament, and which are largely made up of the writings of the Apostle Paul, if you look at his writings, the concept that he's emphasizing when he's talking about the gospel is justification. And then if you look at how Paul spoke the gospel to Jews versus Gentiles, even that was different. And so there's no one size fits all kind of outline of the the gospel. We see so many different metaphors used to describe it in scripture. Redemption, right? Renewal, reconciliation, and we could go on. And so, I though, however, even though there's no one-size-fits-all, I do want to give you one way that you can think about the gospel and how you can share it. So here, here's the definition, the, the summary of, of the gospel, a simple way to put it. The gospel is the good news that God has accomplished our salvation for us through Christ in order to bring us into a right relationship with him and eventually to destroy all the results of sin in the world. That is the gospel message, right? Now, how might you share that message with a person? Because really, even that statement needs to be unpacked a bit, doesn't it? I mean, thinking about this statement, I can already think about a whole bunch of questions that I would have, especially if I don't know Jesus yet and I haven't had any church experience. So how can we really share this message with people? Um, I think it's helpful to help the person you're sharing with answer four questions. Here's the first question. Where did we come from? where do we come from? Well, we came from God, right? We came from God. There is one God. He is infinite in power, goodness, holiness, and justice, and yet he's also personal, and he is loving. He is love, and so that's where we come from, and this one true God of the world speaks to us through the bible right and that means this world is not an accident but it ha- the world has a purpose right god created all things and so then we we have to consider well why did he create all things why did he create the world why did he create us well he created us to have a loving relationship with him to have a loving relationship with other humans, and to rule over the created order on his behalf. This is where we come from. Well, so once you establish that, where we come from, you can talk about, well, what went wrong, right? Because if we would have followed God's design in loving him uh, above all other things and loving Um, Other people with the same intensity that we love ourselves, and if we would have reflected his image into the world, his image of justice and mercy and um, goodness and holiness, we would be living in a perfect, wonderful world. But we all know more than ever that we're not living in that world. Economic crisis, pandemic... Whole bunch of racial um, injustices that are happening. What went wrong? The answer is sin. That's what went wrong. Um, Tragically, all of humanity has rebelled against God, his authority and his design for the world, and has instead chosen a life of self-centeredness. That's what has gone wrong. And because our relationship to God has been broken, all of our other relationships have fallen, our, have fallen apart, our relationship to other human beings, our relationship to creation, our relationship even to ourself has fallen apart. They've all ruptured. And so we have experienced sp- spiritual decay, uh, psychological decay, social decay, and physical decay and breakdown. That's the result of our rebellion. Um, We no longer can relate to God. Uh, We are often just consumed with fear, worry, anxiety, sadness, greed, um, jealousy, anger, uh, revenge, all that we experience. We, have a, we exclude others, we gossip about other people, we put them down, we get hurt and then we hurt others. Our bodies get sick, they fall apart and they die. The physical world is devastated by natural disasters and also man-made disasters. This is the spiritual, psychological, physical breakdown that we're talking about and the social breakdown. That's what's wrong. And the worst part of that breakdown is, we are under God's wrath and judgment because God is such a holy, loving God of justice. He um, is not going to let the guilty go unpunished. He loves his world and the people he created so much that he will punish those who have made a mess of that which he loves. And he declared very good. That's what is wrong. Um, And so we are on this path of, of destruction that ends if we are going to receive the full punishment of our rebellion. What God's going to do is he's going to get rid of everybody that is contributing to the hurt and the pain, and he's going to separate them forever from him and his good world in a place that the Bible calls hell. So that's what is wrong. All right. How will things be made right? And the answer is Jesus. That's how things are going to be made right um, God saw the brokenness, right? And so he decided to enter into human history as a man. And uh, so he does that in the person of Jesus. And at the end of Jesus' life, because he lived perfectly, he deserved blessing and acceptance. Yet, when the time fully came, he ended up on a cross, chose to go on a cross So in our place, he could die the death that we deserve so that we could receive the blessing and acceptance that he deserves. But of course, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And so he ascended to heaven and now he's reigning over the world um, uh, from heaven. What's more is that Jesus has promised to return. And he, when he returns, he is going to uh, finally um, remove evil and suffering and pain from his good world forever. The first time Jesus came to earth, he came to uh, be our substitute. The next time he comes, he's coming as judge. And the only way that we can pass that judgment is if Christ's perfect performance record has been credited to our account. Um, That's the only way we're going to pass that judgment. Um, And so Jesus, he will come and he will renew the world. And so that's how the world's going to be put right, right? It's going to be wiped clean of sin and death and evil. How can you, how can I be made right? That's the fourth question you're going to have to help somebody understand. And They, the way that they can be made right, the way that anybody can be made right is through with God, is through repentance and faith, right? Repentance means to admit, to acknowledge that you've rebelled against God and his design for the world. That you've chosen a life of self-centeredness apart from him. It's to admit that, acknowledge it, and have a heartfelt sorrow over that fact and a desire to turn from it. That's what repentance means. And then there's faith. Faith is a transfer of trust from ourselves to Jesus. That's what faith is. It is trusting that the only way that you can be made right with God is if you accept for yourself what Jesus did for you in your place. It means asking you know, God, Father, accept me not because of what I have done or ever will do, but because of what Jesus has done in my place. And when we do that, um, we're accepted into God's family. We become a, an adopted son or daughter, and we have the 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 Father loving us now and forever. And that really begins the process of God making us what he's already declared us to be. In Christ, righteous, holy, perfect. What I appreciate about explaining the gospel message in the way that I just gave to you by helping a person answer those four questions of, you know, where did we come from? What went wrong? Uh, how will the world be right, and how can I be made right, is it addresses both, um, is there hope for the world, and is there hope for me? That's what I appreciate about explaining the gospel in the way that I did. Um, Oftentimes, I see gospel presentations omitting one or the other. Either they really focus on the hope for the world as a whole, Or they focus on, you know, hope for individual sinners. And I think there's beauty, and I think it gives a well-rounded view of the multifaceted gospel when we include both. All right, so if you are going to um, engage in gospel proclamation, you've got to know the gospel. I did my best to explain the nuts and bolts of it. Um, There's so many other ways you could talk about it. So no pressure to use that way. I think it's a good way. Secondly, you've got to know your story. So you've got to know God's story and then you've got to know your story. And what I mean by that is you need to know your grace story. Um, your grace story is simply How did God pursue you? How did he bring you to understand and believe and to trust and call upon Jesus as your Savior and Lord? And what transformation has God brought into your life um, since since you've been put right with God and have us engaged in a relationship with him? That's what your grace story is. We've been through this series I'm um, giving you examples of people in our congregation sharing their grace story as a way of giving you a model so that you can have some ideas in how you can share your own grace story. So you need to know your story. Um, personal grace stories are so powerful because they combine uh, pers- a person's story, which th- those are always interested, interesting, um, with living proof that the gospel is actually real. That's why they're so powerful. Um, so know the gospel, know the message, know God's story, know your story. The last thing I'll say, and, and I'll I'll wrap up with this, is know the person you're sharing with know their story. This is huge. I can't overemphasize the importance of this. Um I think often our gospel proclamation isn't as effective as it could be is because we haven't taken the time to simply listen. What are the fears of the person you're talking to? What are their hopes? What are their longings? Um, what are their desires? Um, you know, what have they experienced in life? This is critical because there are so many different ways and angles you can take in sharing the gospel message. But if you know the person's story, you're going to be able to determine what, which approach is best. And even if you were going to use the approach that I gave you, you would know what parts to emphasize, right? If I'm talking with a person who really is struggling to see that they are a hot mess, well, I might have to emphasize some aspects of of the gospel message, right? Um, If I'm talking with a person who understands that they are deeply broken and flawed, but the riddle was shame and guilt, I'm probably going to emphasize a different aspect of the gospel message, right? I'm going to take a different angle. And so it's so critical to know the person's story that you're talking to. Um, So there you have it. Gospel proclamation. It is always necessary if we're going to lead people to Jesus. It's always uh, such an important part of going public. Um, There are dangers that either we like overdo it or underdo it, right? Um, If we are going to proclaim the gospel effectively and clearly and persuasively, um, we got to know God's story. We got to know the gospel message. We got to know our story and we need to know the person's story that we're sharing with.